0: Chapter Two, Part Two: of A Book of English Martyrs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Wales. A Book of English Martyrs by E. M. Wilmot Buxton. Chapter Three. It was now becoming increasingly clear to Sir Thomas More that the matter of the king's change of opinion was bound to have the most serious consequences in England. He seems to have once shared with his son-in-law roper his forebodings that a time of persecution was at hand and when the young man vehemently denied that such a thing was possible under so catholic a prince he replied gravely i pray god son roper some of us live not till that day for this reason he now began to use his spare time in writing vigorous books in english in defense of the catholic faith which is being attacked openly abroad and secretly in england then came the pentecost of 1533 when anne boleyn who had been already privately married to the king rode at the head of a magnificent procession to her coronation in london to this all the bishops of the southern province were summoned and all the more prominent men of the kingdom including of course sir thomas More. bishop fisher of rochester having sent a direct refusal had been already arrested moore stayed quietly at home and said nothing his wife and family at this time must have been sorely ill at ease for the air was full of ugly rumours as to what line the king would take with those who dared to defy his wishes probably their affectionate representations made life no easier for him at this critical time and there is perhaps a hint of gentle reproach in his words when after speaking often of the joys of heaven of the lives of the holy martyrs of their marvellous patience and what a happy and blessed thing it was for the love of god to suffer the loss of goods of liberty and even of life he would add that for himself if he could perceive himself encouraged by his wife and children to die in a good cause for joy thereof he would merely run to death yet he was wisely cautious and careful not to give offence unnecessarily and to defend himself vigorously against the many false accusations brought against him at this time one of these was in connection with that curious phenom of the age the ex-nun elizabeth barton known as the holy maid of kent from the day of queen catherine's divorce this woman claiming to have had special revelations from above had loudly prophesied the downfall of the king and was supported in this by several monks and friars nearly every person of importance in and about london became interested in her though most had doubts as to her integrity and amongst others sir thomas More saw and talked with her though not of any matters that touched the king or politics when however this unhappy nun being forced at ball's cross to confess herself an impostor was ordered to be hanged with six of her supporters the fact that moore had been even distantly connected with her was seized upon by anne boleyn to ruin him with the king his name actually figured in the bill of adentender against the nun and her supporters but when he was examined for a small commission he found a far graver charge preferred against him how asked cranmer cromwell and the duke of norfolk could he have been so ungrateful to the king as to provoke the latter to put forth his book on the seven sacraments maintaining the pope's authority thus causing him to his dishonour throughout all christendom to put a sword in the pope's hand to fight against himself the miserable meanness of this charge was sharply removed by moore who reminded them that when henry had written the book which earned him the title of defender of the faith he had actually warned his royal master that he was possibly unwise in so strongly maintaining the temporal as well as the spiritual authority of the pope of the necessary of which sir thomas at that time was not fully convinced but henry had replied we will set forth that authority to the uttermost for we receive the see of rome our crown imperial which said more i never heard of before until his grace told it me with his own mouth and then we parted somewhat unpleasantly the sequel to this interview with the council must be told in roper's own words then took sir thomas Moore his boat towards chelsea where in the way he was very merry and for that i was nothing sorry hoping that he got himself discharged out of the parliament bill when he was landed and come home then walked we twain alone in his garden together when i desirous to know how he had sped said i trust sir that all is well because you are so merry it is so indeed son roper i thank god quoth he are you then put out of the bill quoth i by my troth sir son roper i never remembered it never remembered it said i a cause of that toucheth yourself so near And all of us, for your sake, I verily trusted when I saw you so merry that all was well. Then said he, Wilt thou know, son Roper, why I am so merry? In good faith I rejoiced that I had given the devil foul fall, And that with those lords I had gone so far as without great shame I could never go back again. At which words waxed I was very sad, For though himself liked it well, yet liked it me but a little." More, however, had too many friends for the king to dare convict him on practically no evidence at all. It was only a matter of waiting, as he well knew, for what his favourite daughter congratulated him on his safety, said with a smile. Meg, quad, defer, non, after. What is deferred is not done away with. When on another occasion an old friend in high position, the Duke of Norfolk warned him that it was perilous to strive with princes since that meant death. He replied with his usual humorous twinkle, that, in good faith between your grace and me is but this difference, that I shall die to day and you to morrow. It was not long before the storm burst. On April thirteenth fifteen of thirty four, Sir Thomas More was summoned before a commission composed of Archbishop Cranmer, Councillor Audley, Thomas Cromwell, and to his shame be it said, Benson Abbot of Westminster, that he might publicly take the oath to support the succession act now the whole point of this act was that it directly set at naught the authority of the pope which had solemnly declared that henry's marriage with catherine was valid for the act proclaimed it be against the law of god and made the children of anne boleyn the only legal heirs to the crown many of the clergy had taken the oath solving their consciences with the plea that they were bound to obey the king in matters temporal and that the arrangements of the succession came out of that head that there must have been a long and bitter struggle when the mind of blessed Thomas himself over this question is clear, both from his words to Roper and his declaration before the commissioners, that he saw no peril in swearing to succession, but would never swear for a piece and set his hand to the whole oath. Such a man of prayer and of keen spiritual insight saw clear that the whole act was planned to be the death blow of the papal authority in the land, and as such he was determined not to sign but he knew that the alternative was death is clear on the morning of the day on which he had been summoned to lambeth he made his confession and received holy communion as the accustomed manners always ere he entered in any matter of importance it was usual when he left his home for his wife and children to accompany him to the boat where he would kiss them and bid them all farewell. But on this occasion, the great fatherly heart of the future martyr could not face the ordeal of what he alone knew was his last farewell to his family and the home he loved so dearly. He would suffer none of them forth the gate to follow him, said Roper, but pulled the wicked after him and shut them all from him, and with a heavy heart, as by his countenance it appeared, with me there took boat towards Lambeth, wherein, sitting still sadly a while, at the last he suddenly rounded me in the ear and said son roper i thank our lord the field is won what he meant thereby i then wist not yet loath to seem ignorant i answered sir i am therefore very glad but as i conjectured afterwards it was for the love he had to god wrought in him so effectively that he conquered utterly all his worldly affections the moment of anguish when he looked his last as a free man upon his beloved ones to the bitterness, death that was over for blessed thomas more he had offered up to god those nearest his heart and henceforth the love of the divine friend alone was his comfort and reward four days later he was committed to the tower for refusing to take the oath and then after a month's solitude within the grim walls of the beauchamp tower the first pangs of his martyrdom were anticipated through his best-loved child margaret roper who had with difficulty got leave to see him Filled with despair, the thought of her father, far from strong in health, shut up within those stone-cold walls and with only the prospect of death before him, Margaret, who had herself taken the oath, being also primed with arguments in its favor by Lady Allington. more stepdaughter used these interviews to try her utmost to persuade him to stifle the voice of consciousness and to take the oath. At first, Sir Thomas tried to silence her with assurances that he was by no means unhappy, seeing that he always loved the thought of solitude, even in a straighter room than this i find no cause i thank god margaret to recommend myself in worse case than at home for methinks god maketh a pet of me and setteth me on his lap and dandleth me but when margaret in her blind affection pressed him very sorely with her urging he said very seriously daughter margaret we too have talked of this thing more than twice or thrice and i have told you that it is possible for me to do the thing that might content the king's grace and god be not offended no man had taken the oath more gladly than i would do no man refused you and the blind obstinate bishop of rochester urged his daughter to which he replied that even if blessed john fisher himself should take the oath it would make no difference to him he also solemnly assured her that in this matter he was in though no such minority as she thought since the greater part of christendom were with him but it may mean death urged margaret weeping to which he said very quietly that he had been prepared for that from the day first i counted margaret full surely many a restless weary night while my wife slept and thought i slept too what peril was possible to fool me in thinking of that i had a full heavy heart but yet i thank our lord for all that i never thought to change though the very utmost should happen to me that my fear ran upon in her grief the girl urged that the actual details of death might be far more terrible than he yet realized and that then it would perhaps be too late to take the oath too late daughter margaret cried sir thomas with kindling eyes i pray our lord that if i ever make such a change may it be too late indeed for well i wot such change cannot be good for my soul and then with softening voices, he saw her tears, he added, Therefore, mine own good daughter, never trouble thy mind of anything that may happen to me in this life, since I wot well, very well, that without my fault. He will not let me be lost. Nothing can happen but what God wills, and if anything happen to me that you would rather not, pray to God for me, but trouble not yourselves, as I shall fully heartily pray for us all, that we may meet together in heaven, where we shall make merry forever and never have trouble after after the sharp trial of his consistency at the hands of his daughter he loved best in the world the visits of his more worldly wife must have almost come as a relief dame alice had no illusions on the subject and rated him soundly for his foolishness in thus preferring to be shut up in a close filthy prison among rats and mice when he might be enjoying the favour of the king and his council in his own fair house at chelsea what in god's name Mean you by tearing here thus foolishly, she cried with a vexation probably assumed in order to mask her real sorrow and concern, but is not this house as nigh heaven as my own said he when he would get a word in tilly valley, tilly valley, cried she, will this gear never be left to which he answered with his usual twinkle that he saw no great cause to rejoice in his house since if he were to die and rise again after seven years and go thither again he would find some therein who would bid him get out of the door since it were none of his he was much amused too at her real or pretended horror when she heard that he was locked up at night if the door were shut upon me twould shut up my breath she cried he said nothing but he remembered that she used to be on the inside to shut every night full surely her own chamber to her both doors and windows too and used not to open them for all the long night gay of heart that he remained during the long months of his imprisonment though he was physically very ill suffering agonies from cramps and internal troubles and dependent on the charity of friends outside for the smallest comfort all these things he gladly embraced as penances adding thereto his own hair-shirt worn by him for years in a discipline of whips and knotted cords on certain fast days his maintenance had to be paid by his family who were this time so poor that lady moore had to sell her own clothes to pay his board frugal as it was yet sir thomas had never without a jest and a smile for jailer and friend alike even when his imprisonment grew much more rigorous His own consolation then became the writing of those beautiful religious works in which he mingled mirth and devotion of the deepest kind in a way as only possible to one who was closely in touch with the Savior. Then his enemies deprived him of the last solace, taking away his books and papers on the plea that he had sent letters to his fellow prisoner, Blessed John Fisher, in the bell tower now even the visits of margaret were denied him but he nothing daunted closed the shutter of his cell and sat in darkness the better to meditate on the joys of heaven when asked the reason by the lieutenant of the tower he replied merrily, when all the wares are gone the shop windows might as well be shut in the may of that year fifteen thirty five he had seen the carthusian martyrs laid out to die and a month later three more of the same order followed them on june the twenty second the feast of st alban the aged bishop fisher had been taken out upon tower hill just outside the tower and possibly more would have been told of his brave bearing now how he had begged the onlookers for their prayers that at the very point and instance of death's stroke he might stand steadfast without fainting in any point of the catholic faith free from any fear and how he had besought god to save the king and the realm and to send the king good counsel and how the people at his wish had cried aloud the holy name of jesus at the moment when head and body being severed the innocent amounted mounted to the blessed joys of heaven nine days later sentence for high treason was pronounced sponsor thomas More in westminster hall in dignified words he uttered his protest against the inquisitous act which declared the king supreme head of the church and when the chancellor tried to rebuke him for considering himself wiser and a better conscience than all the bishops and nobles of this realm he uttered those one monumentous words my lord for one bishop of your opinion i have a hundred saints of mine and for one parliament of yours and god knows of what kind i have all the general councils for one thousand years and for one kingdom i have all the kingdoms of christendom i say further that your statute is ill-made because you have sworn never to do anything against the church which through all christendom is one and divided and you have no authority without the common consent of all christians to make a law or act of parliament or council against the union of christendom thus did the brave old man weak and broken now in body but undaunted in soul bear his unwithering testimony to the catholic faith in which he would soon die as he left Westminster Hall, his son John was waiting on his knees to receive his blessing, and as he was led back to the tower, his eyes sought the outskirts of the crowd on the tower wharf, for he knew that Margaret would be there, faithful to the last, and yearning for a glimpse at the beloved father to whom access was now denied. Suddenly his worn face kindled, and he lifted his hand in blessing, as a girlish figure sunk upon its knees. But Margaret could not be content with that, and throwing herself against the and bills of the guard she hastily ran to him and there openly in the sight of them embraced him took him by the neck and kissed him sobbing oh my father oh my father take patience margaret murmured the tender voices he held her close do not grieve my child god has willed it so for many years didst thou know the secret of my heart "'Fully indeed, may the faithful daughter he rescued "'for her one mistaken effort to keep her father "'from the ways of sorrows, "'when we realize the mingled bitterness and sweetness "'of that supreme moment. "'She had her part to play in the sacrifice, "'but she'd been admitted into the holy place "'of that brave heart, "'and she knew better now than to hold him back. "'What matter if she turned back again as he passed on, "'and having respect neither to herself "'nor to the peers that were about him, "'ran to him as before, took him about the neck, And divers timed, kissed, and lovingly, and at last with a full and heavy heart, was reigned to depart from him. Moore's last letter to this tenderly loved child was written with a charred stick upon a scrap of paper. In this, after sending loving messages to all the members of his family, he says, I never liked your manner towards me better than when you kissed me last, for I love when daughterly love and dear charity hath no leisure to look to worldly courtesy farewell my dear child and pray for me and i shall for you and all your friends that we may merrily meet in heaven he had been first condemned to be hanged drawn and quartered and on hearing that the king had mercifully changed his sentence to be he replied cheerily god forbid that the king should show any such mercy unto any of his friends the sixth of july the eve of the feast of saint thomas of canterbury found him ready and longing for the end they who brought the tidings of the execution wept so bitterly that it was the martyr's law to speak words of comfort. About nine o'clock, he was brought forth, carrying in his hands a red cross, casting his eyes towards heaven. Passing a good woman's house, she offered him a cup of wine, which he refused, saying, Christ at the Passion drank no wine, but only gall and vinegar. Having promised his prayers to one under temptation of suicide, he came to the scaffold on Tower Hill which seemed to him weak and ready to fall wherefore he said merrily to the lieutenant i pray you sir see me safe up and for my coming down let me shift for myself and he began to speak a little to the people which were in great tropes there to hear and see him he was interrupted by the sheriff wherefore briefly he desired all the people to pray for him and to bear witness with him that there he died and for the faith of the Holy Catholic Church, a faithful servant, both of God and the King. Having spoken but this, he kneeled down and pronounced with great devotion of the Mizeo Psalm, which, being ended, he cheerfully rose up the executioner, asking forgiveness, he kissed, saying, Thou wilt do me this day a greater benefit than any mortal man can be able to give me. Pluck up thy spirit, man, and be not afraid to do thine office. My neck is very short. Take heed, therefore, that thou strike not awry. Then, having covered his eyes, he laid his head upon the block, bidding the executioner stay till he had removed his beard, saying, Pity that should be cut, that hath not committed treason. And so, with great alacrity and spiritual joy, he received the fatal blow of the axe, which no sooner had severed the head of the body, but his soul was carried by angels into everlasting glory, where a crown of martyrdom was put upon him, which can never be faded nor decayed and then did he find these words true which he had spoken often that a man may lose his head and have no harm yes i say unspeakable good and everlasting happiness Well, may it be said of such a man that he had learned to trod in the road of the passion of his master and it seemed to him to be strong with flowers he died rather than tarnish the whiteness of his soul the story goes that the head of blessed thomas More, which for a time was fixed upon london bridge by the side of that blessed john fisher was afterwards bought by his daughter margaret and being fully embalmed in spices was laid in the roper family vault in st dawson's church canterbury his body was laid in the chapel of Saint Peter ad Villancus in the tower, close to the entrance of the small belfry. A book of hours used by him during his imprisonment is now in the possession of the Earl of Dunbu and contains in his own handwriting in the margins some beautiful prayers from which we may quote the following lines as a summary of his life: Give me thy grace, good God, to settle the worlds of-nay, to be joyful of tribulations. To walk the narrow road that leadeth to life, to bear the cross with Christ, to have the last things in remembrance. End of chapter 2, part 2. Recording by Christine Wales.